You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Find more great shows like this at wearelibertarians.com. All right, let's get back to some boring subjects. Understand the risk to our country. Freedom brings people together. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle. It's so good of you all to be here. And we are going to uh, talk to my friend Lex, who is just a regular person, a normal person who has lots of questions about politics and no has no idea where to get the answers so for some reason she's coming to me so we'll talk to her in just a moment we'll answer all her questions and hopefully some of yours so stay tuned warning this show is for adults produced by semi-adults so the language is sometimes strong and offensive Uh, i don't know what i said Uh... welcome to we are libertarians where our goal is to help you sound smarter while talking to your friends. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective while treating modern politics with all of the irreverence it deserves. There has been lie after lie. We toss out the screaming heads, put people before political parties, and give context to the news to make you think. Now, here's our host, a 15-year veteran of politics and media, Chris Spangle. Welcome, everybody. It's nice to see all of you here trying to get my mic figured out let me just turn let me just turn this down uh thank you for joining us here on the program my name is chris spangle it's so good to see all of you again hopefully you are enjoying all of our covid content and hopefully it's making your life a little bit easier through all of this rough time and with me today is one of my best friends her name is lex kramer and if you listen to 415 you heard that she was the sponsor of that episode and she is the sponsor of this episode and uh, her company is dashing media management and uh, lex i just want to thank you for being an advertiser on the show i know that this is a crazy time for so many different people and uh, we appreciate you supporting our work here. So before we get started into the content, tell people what Dashing Media Management is and what do you do. Cool. Well, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, I like that you said at the beginning that I'm just a regular individual. <laughs> you're not You're not a libertarian. You're a normie, as we call you. So we're going to talk yes. once we're going to talk about all kinds of different things. And you have all kinds of questions that I don't even know what you're going to ask about. And we're it, Lex sends me texts and she goes, OK, can you explain this to me? And there gets so many texts that I just go, can we do an episode? And uh, <laughs> I forget what the other episode we did, uh, what, what it was on. But I'm just like, what? I a lot of people are asking me this, can you be my guinea pig? And so Lex is my normie friend that comes on and asks questions. So that's what we're going to do tonight. But first, we want to talk about Dashing but Media first. Management. So Lex, please tell us what is Dashing Media Management. We, to keep it simple, to keep it for the normies, we are a one-stop shop for all things content and social media management. So if you need somebody to manage your social media platforms, to make graphics for your Instagram, uh, to manage your blog posts, to optimize your website. We do all of that, and we do it at a very affordable flat rate pricing, um, so that way you're not breaking the bank, especially nowadays because nobody's got any money. (laughs) We're trying to keep things as easy as possible for everybody. Um, 
A lot of times companies spend way too much money and overhead on things that are super simple. So we take all of that headache away and do it for the companies so they can, um, you know, save time, save money, but still keep their brand intact. Perfect. And dashingmediamanagement.com is the website. You can find it in the show notes. And believe it or not, this is actually a great time to make sure that you're on the front lines. Is it not? Like, I think that people go, oh, well, I'm going to pull back and just kind of hang back. But if you're if you're a company, now's the time to really be out there and talking to people. I, do, am I crazy or do you do you agree? No. Have you seen the people at the grocery store? Everybody's got money. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, everybody's got money right now. So why not? I mean, if everybody's, you know, everybody's at home, more companies have employees that are working remote now than ever before. Get Employer brand is huge. Get your name out there. People are online. They're looking at stuff. Take advantage. Excellent. So dashingmediamanagement.com and ask for Lex. All right. So Lex, you're a normal person with a real life real concerns and little political ideology. I I would say that, you know, if I were to guess, you probably vote Democrat more than Republican or Libertarian, but you don't really necessarily seem to be like a, like a politics person, right? I'm scared right now because I told, like I said the other day, I don't, I'm afraid to even vote at this point because it doesn't seem like we've got some, we don't have very good options right now. It's like a scary old white guy or the other scary old white guy. So yeah, I mean, I'm registered Democrat, but that's just that's just kind of what I picked back when I was 18 and could sign up, and it just has always carried over. But I'm to the point now where I think I'm like a lot of people where I don't even know which way to lean anymore because one day it seems like the Republicans are doing all the right things. The next day it seems like the Democrats are. And uh, then I log off of Twitter because I'm afraid. So <laughs> I think I don't think you're alone. I get a lot of messages on my Instagram from people, and they're like, who are you guys going to run? I'm like, probably a scary old white guy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, uh, which is sort of why the message of this program, the overarching theme is don't believe, don't vote, don't vote your way into what you want. Just start living it. So, all right. So what is your first question? What's the first concern that you have? Um, I, I guess I'm a little confused right now about Bernie because everybody's saying Bernie dropped out. But he only, quote unquote, suspended his campaign. So is there like some weird behind the scenes thing that's happening where he's really just going to pop back out of nowhere and we're going to have him as an option again? No. So what these candidates do, because like Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, they're still technically in the race, as is Bill Weld on the Republican side. And so when these guys drop out, what they what they do is they they aren't running. And so what effectively happens is they suspend their campaign for a few different reasons. So, number one, in case something happens to Biden, then they still have their delegates pledged. Because the way that the delegate system works is that you go through a primary system and you collect delegates. So, in in Indiana, I think it's like 15 delegates or something. And each candidate racks up those delegates. You have to get to a certain amount to win. Sort of like the Electoral College, but for the primary side. And... When they get to the convention on the first ballot, the delegates that are pledged to a candidate have to vote for that particular candidate. So people will go to the convention and vote for Pete Buttigieg on the first ballot. On the second ballot, they will then vote for the nominee. So 
a, a candidate can release their delegates, and then the delegates can then vote for whomever they like. So the, if, let's say Pete Buttigieg or Bernie releases his delegates, then they all on the first ballot can vote for Joe Biden. And the reason they suspend their campaign is to maintain their political power because they have persuasion over the delegates that they've collected. And secondly, for some financial rules so they can continue to raise money, a lot of times candidates will rack up a lot of debt. And this allows them to keep their campaign going and raising money. So they, you know, Hillary Clinton still is trying to pay off campaign debt uh, from 2016. And so they keep their committee active so that way they can continue to pay off that debt and then roll it over if they raise above that into their own super PAC. And so it's not a conspiracy. It's just a party technicality that people oftentimes they don't get. Why would you suspend your campaign? Is it some dark arts? And what I typically find is that when there's a little detail like that in the technical process that people don't understand, they either jump to conclusions or somebody exploits that little thing to make it look nefarious in a conspiracy theory so you then don't trust the system. You trust that person that has created the conspiracy theory. So um, that's why people suspend their campaign. It's basically just to have some say in various parts of the convention, be it the platform committee. Believe it or not, I don't know why, but some people find it very important to have say in what goes into the party platform. I don't know that you or I or any of our listeners have ever read a party platform, but uh, it's a historical document more than anything else. And so Bernie Sanders and his supporters may want uh, say in the platform. Now that means absolutely nothing, but to the people who care about platform stuff, which is basically a statement of the party's principles for that election cycle. And supposedly the candidate runs in support of the party platform. And so then in their brains, they think that if we put this in the platform, then Joe Biden has to support Medicare for all. Well, that's not how that works. The candidate says, yes, I agree with the platform. And then they go on and run for office. So it is not a nefarious plot, Lex. It is just a, a, a legal technicality based on party rules. So if come November and everybody's ready to vote, what if all of these people write in Bernie Sanders? Well, then Bernie Sanders could be theoretically. So like in Virginia in this last election cycle, you had a, a group called Students for Liberty, which is a libertarian group that backed a Republican candidate and they got enough write ins to get the person elected. Now, this is, like, unheard of. This never happens. I mean, here in Indiana, if you you have to, like, qualify as a write-in. Uh, so, you know, you, you could go and you could say um, – so, like, every – there's 50 different sets of ballot laws. But, for instance, here in Indiana, we have a sore loser law. And so Bernie Sanders could not appear on the fall ballot even as a, even as a write-in candidate. Um, so if you write in a candidate here in Indiana and they're not a registered write-in before the election, then that vote literally doesn't count. They throw it out. But let's say you get a, a, a majority of people to walk in and write in a candidate. Let's say something happens and Joe Biden's incapacitated, but he's still on the, the Democratic ticket and people go in and they vote and then the party's going to figure it out on the other side. Well, then Bernie could, you know, you could have a Michelle Obama write in campaign and that could happen. So but there are a lot of states with sore loser laws. So there's uh, not a possibility that Bernie Sanders could probably win enough electoral votes to get elected. But typically 
people kind of people through the primary season and the summertime or in between, you know, the last four years, people get they get all kinds of ideas and they they support all kinds of different ideologies and candidates and then once you get to like Labor Day, that's when people start drifting home. So even your most ardent Bernie supporter sitting here saying, I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden. You'll never make me. There's nothing you can do that will make me vote for Joe Biden. I just won't vote. A lot of those people by election day, because of the way the campaigns run, kind of get propagandized into voting for Joe Biden. And so people typically go home, as I like to call it. They, they return to the Republican or Democratic Party and uh, kind of move away from uh, third-party people. If I, you know, candidates would come up and go, I've got this election in the bag. Everybody I've talked to said I'm voting. they're voting for me. And I'm like, you, that is great, but they're lying to you <laughs> because people tend to vote for one of the two parties that they like because they only see two parties as an option. Do you think that a lot of people are going to vote Biden just so they don't have to vote for Trump? Say that again. Do you think that people or a lot of people are going to vote Biden just to vote against Trump? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think name ID is probably the most important metric in a campaign. So what do people know your name and what do they think of you? And so. Donald Trump is such a known equation that there's probably never been a presidential campaign like this in that 100% of the voters know who Donald Trump is because it's partially why he won in 2016 is the media was so obsessed with him that they couldn't believe the norms he was breaking that they covered him all the time. And it helped him get over those 16 Republicans. It helped him get over Hillary Clinton. And that has never stopped. Everything, Donald Trump in our politics has become what's called the lodestar, like the, the North Star of, of everything. Like what, what, you, what you feel or think about Donald Trump is how people view you as a person now. Uh, it's really kind of become a, a crazy phenomenon that people are just obsessed with this guy to the point that they're obsessed with him, pro or, or, or against him. Um, Trump derangement syndrome goes both ways. You can be deranged by the prospect of Donald Trump being president or not being president, uh, pro or against. And so but this is really going to end up being a campaign that is a referendum on Joe Biden. Uh, because people have made up their mind about Donald Trump. People like you and me are not going in there to vote for Donald Trump. And there isn't anything that anybody can say or do that is going to get me to vote for Donald Trump. I'm just not going to. Can Joe Biden persuade me to vote for him? Now, the answer is no for me, but for you, it may be a yes. It may be, um, you know, I've fully thought out my position on Donald Trump. What does Joe Biden have to say that may get me to vote for him? And so, if the media cycle in the last week is focused on Joe Biden and his positives, or if it's focused on Donald Trump and his negatives, then that's probably fairly beneficial for Biden. If it's focused on on Joe Biden's negatives and his his prospect as president, then it's probably going to be bad for Joe Biden. So the 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 reality is this is a referendum on Joe Biden, and that's probably not good because Joe Biden's not very reliable as a candidate. He's he's run for president three other times, two or three other times. He he has been 
you know, it took him 30 years to win a primary. He he's just he he is a gaffe machine. And Trump's gaffes are known. Biden's gaffes are not as well known. But there are people who are just going to go in and go, I don't care. I want the madness to stop. I want to return to normalcy. This guy says he's going to run for president for one term. He seems fairly normal. Barack Obama likes him, so I'm going to vote for him. So I think it's uh, it's probably a pretty safe bet that a lot of independents and a lot of women are going to break for Joe Biden, which is why the Trump people and conservatives are trying to make such a big deal out of these sexual allegations. So because if they can knock, well, yeah, and I mean. Anita Hill. <laughs> right. So if you could make Joe, so if you could make Joe Biden look like a lecherous old pervert, then you knock down the amount of women that are willing to show up because the factor that lost the reason Donald Trump is president is not because Donald Trump activated some new base of voters. If you look at the amount of votes and where Donald Trump got votes, they're not that far off from Mitt Romney in 2012. What is different is the massive drop-off between Obama and Clinton. Nobody wanted to go vote for Hillary Clinton. She was thoroughly uninspiring, and so people just didn't come out. And that was the concern with Bernie, is that Bernie would suppress his own base so much that it would give a really good shot for for Trump to win. So if if Republicans in the Trump campaign, which is savage— this is this is a campaign that was really brutal in 2016 and they're they've gotten really they've gotten way better and they have way more money and Joe Biden is not necessarily prepared for the the, the hits that he's about to take and so if they can drive down using digital and memes and other other uh, things, which is why people need to be really cognizant of what they share on social media because that amplification has a real effect. If you're sharing memes about creepy Uncle Joe sniffing hair, well, you need to be aware that you are contributing to the suppression of a certain portion of, of his base. I do because I don't give a fuck. I don't want to. I don't care which one of these people wins, right? Uh, I just right. I like I like what's funny. But if there's enough women that see that Joe Biden is a, a the same lecherous old creep that Donald Trump is, they go, "Well, I'm out. I'm just not going to show up and vote." And that can have a big effect. Yeah. Well, and the fact that it's kind of weird that it doesn't seem like he can remember a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is a stutterer, so there is a, a portion of that where he had a stuttering issue a long time ago. But I do think he's nearly 80 years old. It's only natural that you've got some brain plaque that has kind of accumulated over time. Like, you know, he's out on the stump and he says, I'm Joe Biden and I'm running for United States Senate. Well, the guy ran for Senate like 15 times or whatever or 10, 10 times. Like, you know, that's so deeply ingrained in his brain that it just comes out naturally when he's on the stump. But that's kind of a, a an age sign, right? But Donald Trump is you. You always have to weigh it and go, okay, well, yeah, this guy is just as mentally deficient as Joe Biden is. So I, I think it ultimately comes down to which side your parents supported and what side you naturally are biased towards. You know, and it's it's you know I don't know that the libertarians are going to have a good third option. I don't know that there's going to be a good third choice in this election. And so you know. Those independents may break for Joe Biden, even if he seems a little out of it. Do you think that how, I guess we'll start talking about coronavirus. Okay. Um, do you think how Trump has handled things is going to have a big impact? 
on whether or not he gets reelected? Like, th- how do you think that's, you know? I think it becomes the only thing that matters in some way. So I, I have a very low opinion of how Donald Trump has handled a lot of this. Um, but what happens in April, is that going to matter in October or November? Probably not. Uh, and so people kind of, they, they go to the polls with a general feeling of how they felt at that time, right? They don't, they don't remember the specifics of Donald Trump and the CDC messed up testing, you know, unless you really drive that home. That's why I'm so like one note about that, right? Because it, it is so, it's so important that you get this one detail about all this correct. And that is the centralization of testing is why you had to stay indoors. And so had there been better testing, you wouldn't have to shut the entire country down. You could have just shut down the people who were sick. And the reason we don't have testing is because Donald Trump's CDC and Donald Trump's FDA failed repeatedly. And Donald Trump's, you know, but like things like the the New York Times, and I shared the article today that, Trump, his promises that he's made over the last month, none of these things came true. People don't really remember that stuff. They just remember a couple different things. And so what do they remember? We Well, it's hard to say now. Like, what do they remember about this time? Well, you remember how weird it felt, the grief that you felt, how much it sucked. But if we're still going through it in November... People are going to look at him and go, why didn't you fix this? Uh, you know, in, in other periods of pandemic history, leadership did not fare so well after the pandemic. Uh, you know, in, in times of great economic crisis, for instance, Herbert Hoover was blamed for the Great Depression. He, he It basically started right before he took office, but he, he wasn't seen as handling the great economic crisis so well, so FDR was able to swoop in and take over. So... Now, Joe Biden is certainly no FDR, but how how he handles and he recognizes this because he just said the other day, like, how, I have a big decision to make. It's the most important decision of my life. How soon do we start opening? Um, you know, so I don't think anybody knows what the economy looks like in November. I don't think anybody knows what the virus looks like in November. You know, how do, how do biology and the economy economic situation play out by November, that really determines a lot. And it depends on where we're at. It's, it's people are not as in tune as I am to the day to day. They're more in tune to how they feel about it. And the sort of generic things, right? Like you sort of know the FC FDA and CDC messed up and that kind of sounds vaguely familiar, but, and it contributes to this general notion that Donald Trump is not handling it well. Well, that, that kind of notion or meme is how most people vote. They don't vote on the specific policy principles. They vote sort of how they feel about it. Okay, yeah. It's just a mess. How much longer do you think we're going to have to be quarantined? Well, how much? <laughs> depends on what, It depends on how you look <laughs> at it, right? Okay, so there's two ways to look at this. There's the from uh, the economic realities, and there is from the public health realities. So economic realities, totally out of the part, right? Like, you, you just keep everybody in their house, and you just wait 12 to 18 months for a vaccine or some sort of, you know, medical intervention, and, you know, that's the best way to keep the most amount of people alive, alive right? 
Well, that assumes that there are um, that there that people are rational, that they make the right decisions in the way that you want them to make the right decisions. Well, the reality is the Bob Evans parking lot yesterday was full for Easter. <laughs> Right. So, and the, there was every single parking spot was taken at the Bob Evans for, for takeout, right? For takeout. Right. But they were in a, <laughs> they were in a line of 40 people and they were not six feet apart. Right. So oh. the, the reality is that people are kind of done with this because, uh, they're just done with like Americans have a higher, a higher regard of Liberty than other nations because of the founding myths or the founding truths, depending on how you look at it, and our notion of what is freedom and what is liberty and what what did our founders believe in. They have a higher regard for that than you're like a Finland or Britain, right? So they they their systems were developed with top-down centralized planning, and then they were able to diffuse that with parliament and and you know other acts. We were founded as a libertarian experiment, and then it has it has expanded in size, scope, and power in Washington D.C. since its founding. So we have a much different ethos here than we do than they do in other countries, and that is a huge factor in how long the shutdown can happen. Now, the other aspect is the economic situation. There is a real argument to be made, and it's one hundred percent true in that you create by keeping things by keeping people in their house by not letting them work you create a completely separate public health crisis in a bunch of different ways and uh, i host a public affairs show called now hear this i've i've put a lot of these interviews in this feed for we are libertarians so people can hear what's going on but when you hear about the massive increase in opioid uh, ods in the last Three weeks, or the the there has been a dramatic drop in child abuse uh, reports. Well, kids aren't seeing the people that report child abuse; they're locked in with their abusers. And so, the metric that tells us that child abuse, for instance, is getting worse is that there are more people dying from child abuse than there were four weeks ago. You know, domestic violence. We normally have about 11 murder-suicides a week. We now have 19 a week. Uh, well, these become their own public health crisis. Drug use, suicide, uh, domestic violence. Uh, and that rapidly deteriorates the longer people are not earning a paycheck. The longer that people are unemployed, the more people are hungry, the less opportunity and hope that people have. The more dangerous people get, the more violence goes up, the more crime goes up, the more, you know, break-ins gone wrong go, go up. So if you're a governor of a state, you are sitting here looking at this really tough equation. You're going, okay, if I open up too soon, then I create a second spike of COVID, and that could rapidly, exponentially get out of control, and then I'm blamed for killing thousands more people than needed to die because of the pandemic. But if I keep this shut down too long, you run the risk of all these other public health factors coming into play. And, and you, you run the risk of the economy not recovering and there being civil unrest because 
the longer you keep things shut down, the more people are willing to disobey and eager to disobey. And every single day that goes by with another one of these little petty tyrannies of some guy getting ripped off a bus is one day less regular people like you and I are willing to stay inside. And so there's a very difficult equation. And so what I think most governors are going to do is starting May 1st, they're going to stair-step their way out of this like they stair-step their way into this. When it began, the the idea that you would be locked in your house and not able to travel was incomprehensible. But two and a half, three weeks later, that's the norm. You know, the idea that they would put, you know, orange fencing like a construction site around playgrounds three weeks ago, four weeks ago was incomprehensible. But they stair-stepped us into that. And now they're going to stair-step us out of that. And so I think by between May 1st and the end of May, mid-June, you're going to see a lot of restrictions easing up depending on where you're at. So like in a state like Indiana, for instance, where I'm in the center, I'm I'm close to downtown, I'm, you know, the 25% of the population is right here in my county, there's probably going to be more restrictions in a place where there's a lot more danger than there may be for like Vincennes, Indiana, where there's a much spread out population. And so if you're in the rural areas, you're going to be in a lot better shape in the rural areas than the suburbs, than the city. Uh, and, you know, that, that's just from a public health perspective because the, the problem is that instead of just persuading people and saying to you, Lex, here's the public health realities of what we're facing – it's got these factors, it's this thing, and if we do this, then we do this for this long, then this can happen, and I just need you to shelter in place voluntarily for the next two months. It's going to save your life, it's going to save your family's life, it's going to save the life of a lot of people, and economically, we're going to be in better shape because we're going to have a V-like recovery. We shut down for two months and we pop right back up, just like a hurricane recovery. And Everybody does it voluntarily. They've been persuaded. You you basically have the same sort of campaign you've seen in education. I'm I mean, Mrs. Sample would be so proud of me. I've never learned more about biology than I did in the last month versus seventh grade. Um, but the problem is that the government came in. They instituted these mandatory shutdowns. They they applied it unevenly. They they created essentially pro a prohibition on free movement. And what do you remember about prohibition during Al Capone's time, right? It doesn't work. It incentivizes bad behavior. You're forcing people to act a certain way, and so they become rebellious. You end up creating more bad actors than would have been good. Like So people go, well, if you just do it voluntarily and government's not involved, people are going to do whatever they want. And I go, you mean like the people at Bob Evans? And and the government is saying these businesses are essential. <laughs> Lex, you see, you what what are the stores like at where where are you living? If you want to say what state? Oh, I I live in the fantastic state of Florida. <laughs> okay, so, so when you go to the I grocery, am very very close to the um, hub of the Church of Scientology. Okay, and that, so I'm close to a lot of the crazy right now. So have you driven by a store? Uh, yes, unfortunately. I had to leave the house the other day. Um, I didn't go into the store. I have uh, My husband is the designated person because he's an essential 
worker, so he's already out and about. I'm lucky enough to work from home, so I only leave if I absolutely have to. And it was scary. And how many people? The other day. How many people were at Publix? The parking lot was full. Right. And so what you've done is you've shoved everybody into their own little hotspot. Everybody in a zip code goes to the grocery store because it's the only thing that's open and they want to get out of the house. They, they, they can't go to the park with their kids that they just cannot take anymore. And so they all go to one place and you create a little hotspot for the disease in that one location. When in reality, most people are probably going to do exactly what you're doing. Are you not going out and visiting locations because the government said so? Or why are you not going out? I'm not going out because my biggest concern is that I'm one of the people that could carry it and not have anything happen to them, but I could give it to somebody else. And I don't think that's fair to do. Right. So rational self, right. Rational self-interest and incentives to be a decent person, incentives to not infect yourself or others creates the right behavior in somebody like you and that's the majority of people, but we don't trust the majority of people. We want to think they're all stupid, but the reality is most people are rational actors, and the people who are not rational actors, the 75-year-old boomer who watches Fox News all day and think this is fake, he's going out anyways. It doesn't matter how hard you try to protect him. The more you try, the worse he's going to get. So the, the reality is the, the timeline to come out of this is shortened because the government intervened and messed a lot of things up and you'll notice Lex I don't know if you noticed this but I noticed that the most essential businesses in my state are the businesses that have the best lobbyists and so the people with the best lobbyists got to stay open and keep their business open and the people who don't have lobbyists aka the ones that hire the most poor people they're all at home so it's applied unevenly unfairly it's bizarre when you have it go from uh, let's all not wear a mask to let's wear a mask to a week later. We're going to kill you if you get on a bus with a, without a mask. Uh, it, it gets really weird when you see Michigan going, you can't drive from like three weeks ago. It was you're safe if you just stay six feet apart from each other. And now three weeks later, Michigan is telling me that I can't drive to your house. It's illegal for me to go from house to house because that's a public health risk. Like, I'm sorry, but me driving from my house to a friend's house, if I have to go to that person's house, there's probably a good reason I'm going because I'm trying to be a good actor here. But if you're going to criminalize my behavior, fuck you. I'm going to my friend's house. (laughs) You know what I mean? So (laughs) if they're going to tell us that we have to have masks, they should be handing them out. Yeah, and that's my – so I, I have my first viral post ever. I posted this video of this guy who is in a Philly bus. He gets on oh a bus God, without a mask. Oh, my God, that was so upsetting. And it was like, so upsetting. And, and that's how I know that the tide is starting to turn against the government here because people like you message me, and that's the impetus for this episode is the guy gets on and literally like a dozen cops pull him off and beat uh, – are threatening to beat the crap out of him. And so yeah. and, and six feet apart, but they got eight people covered, putting their hands all over somebody. That makes no freaking sense to me. Right. So a guy running on the beach alone or a woman sitting in a park alone reading a book, those people get arrested and taken to a prison where they're not six feet apart from other people. Doesn't that make at that at that point? It really isn't about public health. It's about control. It is about keeping you in line and making sure that you obey. And that's what a lot of these petty tyrants want. 
there's such a great point to be made in what you just made, which is why weren't the Philly cops handing out masks? Maybe that guy couldn't couldn't find a mask to wear. Yeah, they all had masks on. You mean one person could have been like, hey, dude, we have an extra one for you. Would you mind putting this on? And he probably would have been like, okay. And that would have been the end of it. But now it's viral and it's this whole big thing because a bunch of cops were like, oh, we get to do something. Every single ridiculous, every single interaction that libertarians want to take place in society is based on voluntary, peaceful exchange. What you and I outlined was a peaceful exchange of here's a mask. This is what's best for the public. Thank you. We encourage you to wear it. Most people will go, thanks for the mask. This is in my best interest to stay healthy. I'm going to put on this mask. When, when the government does something, it's, about obedience and so you don't have a mask you can't find a mask you can't afford a mask we don't care we're going to beat the crap out of you without the cops and this is why the cops are getting a worse and worse rap we're asking cops to do more and enforce more and the reality is that if it weren't for cops and the force that they bring then politicians are just people with bad opinions okay you and i can have all the bad opinions we want and we can't make anybody do what we say. But the second you get elected to government, all of a sudden you've got people with guns that can force you to behave the way that your bad opinion says so. And so there is no moral or or reasonable justification for that. There is no real more, like the morality doesn't change just because you got enough people to decide that you're in charge of other people's lives. Like, if I walk up to you with a gun and demand that you put on a mask and I'm going to threaten to beat you up with these other five guys, then that's coercive behavior. That's that could be battery assault. It could be conspiracy. It could be it could be a, a felony charge. But the second that you put a costume on and you get elected to office, then all of a sudden your opinion becomes law. And so the morality doesn't change just because there is a police officer enforcing this. It, it, it is exactly the same morality. We have just allowed ourselves to believe the myth that it's somehow different when in reality it's not. Every single person, there's a reason that video that I posted got shared 40, 50,000 times because the morality of it is gross to basic decent human beings, right? We look at it and we go, this is inappropriate. This is immoral. This is wrong. Why are they doing this? Who do they think they are? And so the morality hasn't changed. It's just we're allowing it to happen. And so that's where we need to start going to our local and state officials and go, how much force are you willing to use to keep me off of a playground? Because I'm a taxpayer. Or out of churches? Or Hello? I, are you willing to come <laughs> and take away my First Amendment right to assembly and worship my God on Easter? Now, do not misunderstand me. There is no reasonable justification to have church yesterday. I was, I woke up really sad that I couldn't go to church. It was a tough day, if I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, it, it sucked not being able to go to church. It was the right thing to do, you know. And the reality is, if your church was, I wish the people who were all upset about not being able to go to church yesterday online, I wish they cared more about all of those drug users and homeless people and starving people that I mentioned earlier, that's church right now. Like church right now is donating to a food bank and 
organizing a blood drive. That is church because church isn't just a physical location. It's caring for the body. And there's a tremendous amount of need right now, but we're not focused on that. We're focused on our rights. And that's because the government acted and it's acting immorally and it's doing things it shouldn't be. And so instead of the empathetic attention on the need that is in our communities, it's being placed on things that are just really unfortunate, like the Louisville mayor having police officers go out to write down license plates of people who attended churches. You know, those pastors, no doubt, are not protecting their flock. Part of being a pastor, a shepherd, is making sure that you're protecting the health and safety of your flock. That guy wasn't doing that. He wasn't correct in his decision. But that person will suffer the consequences of his decision. The people who showed up will suffer the consequences of their decision. And some of those may be tragic. It may mean that people in their family died because of their poor decision-making. But that's part of living in a free society is that people have to suffer their consequences because the more people that look at the big Italian family in New York City three weeks ago that got together, defied all the all the logic in the world, and several of them died, or the Seattle Choir, where five of them died because they got together when they shouldn't have. Those are tragic consequences that teach the rest of us not to do those things. And so, while it's really hard, we, and we want to protect people from themselves, you end up creating a worse problem when you try to protect people from themselves. Immorality doesn't make a more moral situation. It's immorality fighting immorality. Yeah, it's sad as fuck is what it is. Yep. All of this, I think, is just extremely sad. You know, I don't I like my grandparents. I'd like them to stick around for a little while. Yeah, I mean, but here's the choice. Here's the choice, Lex. Like, there's nothing fair about this. And that's why we're all going through grief together, right? Like, my grandparents are in a nursing home. My grandma has Alzheimer's. She's pretty far down the road and to the point where she's just starting to not remember my grandfather. They're 83 and 84. They've been married since they were 19 years old. You know, my grandfather goes down every day and would sit with her for two hours for lunch, you know, and, you know, there wasn't much conversation, but it was being in her presence. Well, my grandfather can't go do that right now, you know, and the reality is my grandfather may never get to see my grandmother again. Well, that's a tragedy. That is an unfair tragedy, but there's no law that we can implement that's going to change that tragedy. And there's too many people confusing biology with legality right now. Laws have nothing to do with biology. You can be a libertarian and believe that this is real and make the case that people should stay inside and never have the discussion about what is legal or non uh, illegal or what is liberty and what is not liberty. Like, I think we're taking our grief and we're shoving it in places where it doesn't belong. My mom is a a 60-year-old smoker with high blood pressure who is working in the ICU as a registered nurse right now. I had to have dinner with my mom for maybe the last time ever a few weeks ago. I love you. (laughs) That's not fair. No, it's not. But it's not at all. That's just how life is. And there's no law that is going to make that right. There's no law that's going to make that fair. There's no ability for the government to solve this problem beyond 
what each of us are doing individually to take the right decisions, to not go see my mom, to not go in the nursing home. You know, it, it, it isn't going to... The nursing home is doing everything they can to keep my grandparents alive. And so what we do is we FaceTime and they, they put the numbers of the, of the the rooms on the outside. Well, not believing that this is real isn't going to change the fact that it's real. Being angry at the fact that you can't go inside the nursing home or that my mom has to go to the ICU, it doesn't change the fact that this is real. And I think that's where a lot of libertarians and Republicans are kind of getting off track and that they're going, this isn't fair. It's not right. I'm going to blame the government. If the government hadn't done that, then this would all be okay. Well, that's not that's not real. And you're right. basically making the argument, if you're a libertarian, that if it weren't for the government, I would do the wrong thing. And so elect me, because uh, then everybody can do the wrong thing and make the problem worse. And so I just find it to be a very dishonest uh, uh, argument. And so there's well, nothing... we can't go back in time. We can only, you know, we can't, There, you know, that's why I kind of asked about, like, well, how do you think, like, Trump handled it and the CDC and all that, you know, there's... At this point, it doesn't matter. We can only do what we're doing now. Yeah. We and, can't go back. We and, can't go back to the beginning of January or the end of December and say, oh, okay, if we could, we would do that. We can't. We have to make smart decisions now. Testing would have made things a little better, but there yeah. is no doubt that you can't lie to people and say your job would be there if the government did nothing. You can't say that if the government had nailed testing, everybody would still be doing something different. The, the reality is in a free market, there'd be a lot more testing. And so you probably would have a much shallower V. So people were always going to change their behavior. They were always, you were always going to avoid going to a restaurant or going in a store. You were never not going to change your behavior. You're not making your decisions based on the government. You're making your decisions based on what is best for Lex and Travis, right? Like, there and your parents and your family that's how people think and how they they process things and so people were always going to lose jobs through this there was always going to be an economic downturn there was always going to be a problem with a lot of this the issue is that does the v get deeper and does the other side of the v in terms of recovery go back to where the v started or is it lower and so in in most of these situations most of the time what, what government and central planning fails, it, it fails because it makes the D deeper, deeper and it makes the recover what's called a dead cat bounce, you know. But my grandparents were always going to have the same tragedy they're living through. My mom and I were still always going to have that dinner. You know, I was still going to be working from home. You were still going to be avoiding restaurants. The government action or inaction on testing that all is a relative factor that all is part of it, but it doesn't change all of it. And I just think we're, we're in a little bit of denial as a society because we don't want to face the hard reality that I may not get to touch my mom or grandpa or grandma for months. That's hard. You know, like it's hard to, to want to hug somebody. I, I, did you see the woman who I posted on Instagram? I, I just think she speaks for a nation. And it is such a, I uh, found it on TikTok and it's Grace's neighbor, Tracy. And just listen to what Tracy has to say. Because I just think that she really, like, you just listen to it and you go, oh, this is exactly how I feel. I just want you to know that I miss you and I love you. Can't wait for this shit show 
to be over so that I can touch people, drink with people, and have the best life ever. See you too, Tracy. You know, that drunk woman on a porch with a bullhorn is, I think, how we all feel. You can... She didn't sound drunk. She sounded awesome. I, I want to give her a hug, too. Man, oh, just... yeah, Tracy. Yeah, it's on my Instagram if you want to look at it. But, Lex, I just think that's how we all feel, and it's not fair, and we want somebody to fix it, and we're mad at Fauci, and we want him to be fired because he's to blame or Trump's to blame or it just, you know, nobody's to blame. This is a biology. This is a pandemic. Yeah. This is just, it sucks. Everybody blames the government. That just seems to be the go-to. And my, I'm just like, I just don't want to get sick, man. And I don't want more people to keep getting sick. I don't want, you know, first we were pointing the finger at bat soup. Now we're pointing the finger at Donald Trump. And it's like, at the, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Like you said, it's biology. We're, we got to figure it out one way or the other. We can't just keep pointing fingers. Yeah, but we will. Six feet apart. Six feet apart. Pointing fingers. You know, and I just want to mention, you know, like there's like, oh, well, Dr. Fauci is his models were wrong. Well, there's a great 538 podcast that you can listen to. It's spell it out 538. And they talked about why models are so hard to, to build. And the reality is that you're going off of I'm going on a tangent before we get back to your questions, because I think people need to hear this. <laughs> um, models are hard. Like. People are mad at Dr. Fauci because he said 100,000 were going to die and only 60,000 are going to die. And how dare he be so wrong? And so we need to fire him. Well, I mean, 60,000 is still a great tragedy. That's still, in the last 48 hours, a 9-11. That is still, 60,000 would be Vietnam and, and those four years of deaths. Like, it's still a huge tragedy. And like the models that were early on the Imperial college study, if anybody back then had read it, these people who are talking about this stuff, they're, they're like, well, 2 million, we're going to die and only 60,000. How'd they get it so wrong? It's like, well, the Imperial college study was if nothing was done, well, we took measures and now things have been in place and only 60,000 are going to die. Like if you did nothing and 2 million, were going to die. Do you think that that would have had no economic impact whatsoever? Like everybody's just going to ignore a pile of bodies and go to work and not have insurance costs and not have funeral costs. And like, it's just sort of an irrational point of view. You know, and so these models early on were built on Chinese data, which who the hell trusts that now? And the Princess Cruise, which who goes on a cruise? Old white people that are rich. And then Italian data, which is an older society built on, on you know, a, a very populated area. Well, yeah, the models keep changing. That's the point of the models and the projections. That's how we know that we reached the apex five days ago and we can start opening up. Like, that's what we have experts for. And to demonize experts is to demonize the free market. The reality is that experts are a function of the free market because everybody, every day somebody wakes up excited to be an epidemiologist and to talk about exponential math. I couldn't do it, right? Like every day somebody wakes up excited to grow turnips. I wouldn't want to do that, right? I, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to wake up every day and do whatever I do. Like, you know, I'm really good at, at – Lex is really good at, at social media and marketing. Like, but there are people who are terrible at marketing, you know, and so – in a, in a centralized economy where people are assigned jobs, you don't have experts. You don't have people that are passionate about chasing their, their, their dream jobs. You have people that are assigned things. And again, you go back to force. Like experts are a function of the free market. And we do ourselves a disservice when we just 
take a dump all over for, uh, all over experts and pursue this anti-intellectual idea that only the people that we like that make us feel good are the people I will trust. You know, there there there's this conspiracy that uh, death rates, the death counts are way off because the Ron Paul Institute, which has frankly been a a bad actor. I mean, I've lost a lot of respect for Ron Paul through all of this. Uh, he, you know, they were, they published an article saying that even if you, it's a hypothetical, but it's become on Instagram, like exactly what's happening. If, if you get, if you die in a car accident, then you're marked as a COVID-19 death. Well, that's not how it works. The people that sign death warrants are individual doctors who cared for the patient or coroners who are going off of the notes by the nurses and doctors. So let's look at the incentive structure. Who benefits? Who benefits? What doctor benefits from forging medical records? The risk is just too high. For literal, literally no reward, right? Like, why, why listen to the marching orders from Doctor Fauci and say I'm going to uh, the evil Doctor Fauci tells all these doctors, hundreds if not thousands across the nation, to falsify death records? Well, there's no incentive to do that. You know, like if it's if it's a tyrannical state, the incentive is to live, so you follow orders. We're not in, in a tyrannical state, no matter what paranoia we seem to ring out so what so then you go well what kind of control does the director of the national institute for flus or whatever he's in charge of what real power does that guy have he gives advice to the president who's the one that makes the decision and the president doesn't even really have all that much power they gave guidelines remember the word was cdc guidelines because they know none of us have to listen to it (laughs) The governors can do whatever they want, despite what Donald Trump says on Twitter. And so now you look at the incentives of this and you go, all right, there's thousands of doctors making a decision based on what they saw. And they're marking things as COVID deaths because this patient who had a heart attack wouldn't have had a heart attack had the COVID disease not sucked the oxygen out of their body. And so you you can easily look this stuff up. Like I talked to the head of the community health system today and I asked them that question and he, he explained it to me. Then I called a friend who works at the CDC and they explained it to me. They said the exact same thing and they go, why would thousands of doctors falsify records to increase the death rate? Because everybody admits the more deaths, the worse it is because conservatives are saying hundred thousand deaths, really bad, only 60,000 deaths better. And so get rid of Dr. Fauci because he was 40,000 deaths off, right? So what incentive is there in the government to falsify these records to make it seem like there's more deaths? There is none. So let's look at the information equation here and ask again, who benefits? Who benefits from intentionally not looking into this or intentionally not understanding the truth? Who benefits? Netflix. No. Who benefits? Netflix does <laughs> because they can make a documentary it, about it. Right. So who benefits? It's exactly right. You, you've nailed it. All right, Lex. Who benefits from pushing a conspiracy theory? The person who pushes the conspiracy theory. And so people push these conspiracy theories in an effort to 
tease you and get you into their tribe with their secret information and you're part of the right club and you don't want to listen to anybody else, the first thing a cult does is tell you not to listen to anybody else. Lex can tell you all about that, being a Scientologist. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) And so what you've got are, are people like the Ron Paul Institute writers telling you that you shouldn't believe epidemiologists when it comes to epidemiological math. You should trust economists who study on the federal i will trust ron paul when it comes to examining the fed i'm not going to trust ron paul with epidemiological math because he clearly is intentionally lying to me it was not hard for me to pick up the phone and find two credible people to give me information as to how death counts work so why are all these people who work at major media outlets or talk radio stations or run blogs or major libertarian podcasters why can't they seem to figure out the incentive structure considering they're economists Why can't they seem to figure out how all this works? Well, if they don't look like they're part of the secret club and they're not constantly pushing the idea that they're all lying to you and I'm the only one telling you the truth, then their book sales might drop off. Their ratings might drop off. Those sponsor codes might drop off. The email signups might drop off. And so they've got to continually feed the the conspiratorial beast. And I find that to be really disgraceful behavior within the libertarian and conservative and and center-right movement right now because they're lying to us. And so what do they say about the New York Times? Again, don't listen to those people. Don't listen to MSNBC. They're all wrong. They're all lying to you. Just listen to me. I'm the only one that has the the right information here. I'm just going to constantly question this. And so you you when if you constantly question it, then you can never be called out for being wrong, right? You never make a statement about what's actually happening. You never can say that you were wrong. Well, I have mad respect for Richard Epstein of the Hoover Institute because he wrote an article saying the last two weeks were the greatest mistake of my career. I was pushing bad data. I didn't understand. I thought this was a hoax. I was wrong. Right? That's humility. That's not pride. I wasn't wrong. I'm going to create a conspiracy theory so you never call me out on my bull, right? So I think people need to be really careful about who they're listening to in the libertarian and conservative movements right now because there are a lot of people who are intentionally manipulating you because the incentive benefits them. And they don't really care about what you think. They just want you to parrot what they say and share their podcast, share their links, right? It's manipulation. And so I get really pissed off at that because I talk to a lot of you and I talk to the thousands of people that come through the wall, social media or the podcast. I, I understand that a lot of you are just like, I don't know what's going on. And I just want somebody to be honest with me and I can't trust the New York times and they're the enemy of the people. And so you guys seem reasonable. And then we're going to do that to them too. We're going to lie to them too. We're not going to be any better than the New York times. Well, again, it goes back to fighting immorality with immorality, and it's, and it's just really unfair and unkind. And by me saying this, I'm going to get bad reviews. I'm going to be demonized. I'm going to be called a left libertarian because that's the worst thing that has ever existed, even though I'm a Christian, conservative, living lifestyle. Like, okay, right? I'm here because of Ron Paul. I just don't like that when I see people manipulating others for personal gain, I say it. And I'm stupid enough to say it out loud and be demonized by those people. But uh, the reality is a lot of libertarian commentators and conservative commentators and talk radio people are just lying. And they're doing it for their own personal incentives. And they're not thinking about you. 
and that's not cool. And I, I hope that you will start to call them out on it. Do your research. Because if something doesn't sit right with you, then you should call those people out. Just like I'm calling out the Ron Paul Institute for po- publishing something that is so far from the reality that is existing in this nation, it, it, it just it's beyond the pale of reality. So it's literally a conspiracy that they're creating for what purpose? So you will believe them over everybody else. That's the only that's the only explanation here. So you should call them out on it and go, do you have my best interest at heart? I really look at Daniel McAdams and I go, when that guy talks about Venezuela, he sounds exactly like Abby Martin, who is paid by Maduro to go out and give the Maduro case to the American media. She's paid to go on Joe Rogan and these other podcasts to give the Maduro side, right? So... Why is the guy that is Ron Paul's BFF on a show giving me the same side as Maduro? Like, that guy's just continually suspect. And Ron Paul, as much as I respect him, has a bad habit of working with people who are of low character. And I'm looking at Lou Rockwell and Daniel McAdams and whoever wrote this piece of shit article that I'm talking about. Uh, It's just really, you have to even look at our own side sometimes and go, what's the incentive? Who benefits here? Is this the truth? And double check it because sometimes Ron Paul may be wrong and the New York Times may be right. And that maybe it's maybe his right to wrong ratio is 80% right. But sometimes he's incredibly wrong, like literally publishing an article three weeks ago that says the coronavirus is a hoax. Well, that's embarrassing. You have to go to the web archive to find that article now. Uh, So how do you cover that guilt and shame of that bad article? Mm, that thing that I didn't think was real three weeks ago is a hoax. The number, the thing that I thought was a hoax three weeks ago, the numbers don't seem to add up. Okay, just admit you were wrong. So, all right, Lex, I'm sorry for the rant. It's just I got to get that off my chest. I need, the listeners need to hear it. They need to understand what's going on, that, that good people do say, I never tell people that I'm, I'm – I, I, I try to show my work. I try to put into the show notes all of the links – there's more links in our show notes on some of these shows than you can possibly ever get to. But I'm showing you the work that our team went through to get to where we're to, – to, to what is going on air is this is how we got here. So go and look for yeah. yourself, you know, because I just think you shouldn't trust me. I'm just a guy with a podcast who likes to read and finds this stuff interesting and loves to research and talk to people. But I'm not an expert at anything except – maybe this like i'm just here to tell you what i'm finding and what i'm i'm learning from people and then you go and take that with and do with it what you will you know and so don't don't trust me i don't i don't think that i'm some sort of uh, i'm certainly not an economist and i'm certainly not as smart as some of the people that i'm criticizing right now i i firmly admit that um but i just look at it and i go i don't get what's happening here like your information could get people killed it could literally cause someone to make the wrong decision and when things open up, go do the wrong thing and hurt themselves. Like what is there, is there no ethics in what you're doing? So uh, anyways, in rant Lex, uh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. I just, I enjoy your rant though. Cause it, you know, you give it, it's, you have, people have to take the time to listen. Cause I mean, or they are just going to believe whatever, whatever they see and whatever they hear. So, you know, having somebody like you out there going, Hey, take a minute and stop and think about this 
you know, I think it, it helps a lot of people. So you yeah. keep on dropping truth bombs. The, the like complexity it. of this stuff is the CDC numbers for heart attacks, for instance, aren't processed yet. So they're processing COVID deaths extremely quickly. So they're, they're the hospitals. So there's actually something that's really like I, I've said on past episodes, Lex, that liberty is not going to be lost at the bread and circuses level. No governor or president wants you not. They want you going out to restaurants. They want you buying houses. They want you buying Netflix. They want they want you to have that stuff. Where liberty is lost is, is at, at places you don't see it. And so, in one of my conversations today, you know, I was trying to get to the bottom of this question because it's one of those things where it's like I know that's not right, and I kind of know enough to be dangerous, but I don't know enough to come and say this to an audience, right? Like. I need to I need to talk to somebody who works with this data. And so what what happens is you have very high level data like complaints or what are the symptoms or what's a person's birthday and hospitals report that data to directly to the CDC. And state boards of health then contract with the CDC to get that information. And Johns Hopkins then puts that into a pretty dashboard for those states. Now, not every state does this, but that's how they get a lot of the information. Now, within the CDC, there's different fiefdoms. And so all the data that you kind of see across the board can come from one group. There's the emergency room report group, and then there's the flu group, and then there's the heart attack group and the cancer group. And like they all have like these little warring fiefdoms inside. And so, you know, you, you, you you have to look even on the CDC website at a couple a couple different places because they may they may not always agree. But what's happening inside the CDC is uh, there there is a troubling thing that's happening in terms of our our freedoms, and these states contract with the CDC to manage this data, and so state boards of health don't have the staff to collect this data and process it from all their hospitals. So you take all of the hospitals in a state and they all send this information to the CDC and then the CDC processes it for them. Now, that's only available to that state. So let's say you're in Florida, they, the CDC and Johns Hopkins sends that data back to, to Florida. And so then the State Board of Health can then look at that data and see, okay, we had 15 heart attacks and two pneumonia cases and 14 COVID deaths last night. And that's, that's where they're getting the data. Indiana has that. And then uh, no other state can see that data. Now, the CDC signs a contract with these particular states, but the White House has demanded access to all 50 states' data. And they are now going into the CDC and demanding data from all these various agencies in a way that is not legal (laughs) and not appropriate and frankly, kind of fascist. And what that does is then states are going to like start breaking their contracts with people. And what I'm telling you, by the way, is nothing you're hearing anywhere else. All right. This is breaking news that I'm burying an hour into the program. Uh, uh, But it's important for people to understand that once the White House has this information, they have no contractual guarantees of privacy like the states and the CDC have agreed to. They just get the data and they get to do whatever they want with it. And that is inappropriate and an overreach of the Ninth and Tenth Amendments where the states are 
ultimately have all the power. Uh, so what what people in the CDC are hearing from the White House is we want all this data, which is bad, but they're also hearing like what the, the people inside the CDC think is, listen, you you guys think about where the where the bad cases are, where are the hot spots, where is it negative? Like where, the, you know, New York City, New Orleans, Atlanta, where are the places where it's not bad? Where can we, as the, as the team of advisors for the president, say North Dakota's fine, open up? And so within the next couple, two, three weeks, you're going to start seeing governors working with the Pence team in opening things up and start to, to relax some of this stuff by May 1st because of this data that is coming in from the individual hospitals. So that's just a little bit of of kind of insight and background, but that's a place where freedom is lost, where contractual law no longer applies because the federal government says so. That's where your freedom's lost. Now, is that in the grand scheme of things a horrific thing that the White House has a dashboard of data? Mm, no, but is it legal? Also no, right? So there, the reality is that the federal government is no respecter of states' rights and I think you're going to start seeing states exercise their rights because the atrophying of state governments it has been a huge problem in this pandemic. So, so yeah, that that's another little sidebar for people to kind of understand, you know, how this data is collected, where it comes from. It, it's not Dr. Fauci and Dr. Burke sitting at, at a desk and going, mm, I don't like that there are 14 deaths. Let's uh, let's gin this up and make this 32 deaths over here. And let's do this over here. There is no nefarious deep state on this reporting stuff. It's just a, it's thousands of individuals contributing in this existing database of information, how that all works. So uh, did I lose you, Lex, or was that like, did I explain it in a way that you, you got it, or was no, it, I just kind of like get too complex? It. Okay. It's, no, I'm good. I, I Like I said, I like the way your brain works, and I like the way you lay it all out there because you don't bullshit, you know? And I think that's what a lot of people need right now because there's too much bullshit, and like you were saying, it's hard to comb through and know what to believe. So it's good to hear from somebody that like, hey, here's what's going on. Here's the real deal. and Kind of just laying it out there because we're, we're hearing too much crap. Yeah. People don't know so how I the system works. It. And so because people don't know how the system works, they go, well, did you hear that there was a pandemic test and Bill Gates is behind it? And they finished the test right before the flu was released. And you go, okay, uh, no. The, the, these tests are common, right? So like there's always pandemic tests or there's because there's so many different agencies, like in that situation, there's the CDC, there's the White House, there's a state board of health, there's a county board of health, there's a coroner, there's hospitals, like there's multiple agencies involved in that story that I just told. In this, in a pandemic, literally every state, local, county, federal agency is having some response to this right and so what and then that doesn't just include the government agencies then you start getting into non-government organizations and non-profits and charities and policing agencies and where the resources where aren't the resources and so these tests are often run at various levels of the government so if a tornado happens we know to do these three things it's like running a uh, uh, you know, you wouldn't go into the a football game without having watched some tape and run a few practice plays, right? Like, so 
what those tests do for government agencies is it gives them places that they can kind of go, oh, okay, well, we didn't have an answer for this question. Let's do this. Maybe if we got this agency to do that, let's call Children's Bureau so they can do this. You know, so it's it's practice, right? But if you don't know that, you know, like go look at the FEMA website. Go look at the training manuals that FEMA has for state and local agencies. What you will not see in there is how to shove people into camps because it doesn't exist because FEMA doesn't have that kind of capability. The federal government and all governments are just made up of American American citizens. A lot of them have bought into perverse incentives or bad ideas. And the main one just being that they think that they have the right to force us to do anything. You know, well, persuade them that they're wrong. You know, if you want to open up on May 1st, call your call your governor's office, call your state rep, call your state senator. You have the ability. These people are pussies. If you want something in government to happen, then make it happen. Get enough people to call, organize. That's how you change the system. The system is still free. The system is still made up of American citizens. And the people who tell you that this is a, 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 a tyrannical state, those people are trying to scare you so you're easily manipulated into buying their shit, right? Like, the reality is that if you understand what FEMA does and how it works, you're not that scared of it because it's like meeting a Klansman. Lex, have you ever met a Klansman? Oh man, probably, and just didn't know it. <laughs> I've met an avowed Klansman. I've he was a Nazi. He had swastika tattoos. This was the biggest wuss I've ever met in my life. He was a terrified little baby. <laughs> you know, you, you you the idea of a clan the clan is so terrifying because of the imagery of the twenties. But you meet one now, and you're just like, why am I afraid of you? I could I could run you over in my car, and nothing would happen to me, right? So like. There's, there is a, a very real gap between what people understand about their government and people don't, people who know enough, they play on that gap so they can manipulate you into being afraid so you will then only listen to them. And that's, that happens on, that's what Alex Jones does. As much as we joke about Alex Jones and as much as I like Alex Jones, that's what he does is he takes little grains of truth, little kernels of truth, and he makes it fearful and he makes it a big thing. And then people get all upset and they start to believe that Dr. Fauci is paid off by the Chinese when, yeah, Fauci may show deference to the WHO, to the World Health Organization and the Chinese data, does that mean that he's bought off by the Chinese? He can make a convincing argument, but he doesn't really have any proof. He just needs you to trust him on that, right? So the reality is that this entire episode, Lex, I think is just if you understand the system, you're going to be manipulated less. And if you get engaged with the system and just read, you don't have to read a ton, just read the New York Times, read the National Review website, read Reason Magazine, and read Vox from the left. Then you've got your three kind of, you know, and then if you want to really get crazy, read Zero Hedge for kind of your conspiratorial type stuff, right? So you only really need to read about four websites a day and just kind of keep current on things. And then if if you get questions, Google it. Like, why, what is this test that was run before the pandemic started? And then you'll kind of like, you'll see some conspiratorial stuff and then go, but, but all right, but like, what does the establishment say about it? And then you go, oh, that makes sense, right? So these tests are not them practicing the rollout of their biological weapon. 
it's just a bunch of government and non-government agencies uh, running running plays for the big show, and they failed at it, right? <laughs> so uh, now I could be bought off by them, Lex. I mean, it's very possible that I'm one of them, and I'm just telling you what they want you to hear. Ah, you're a lizard person. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they want you to think. <laughs> So. I think you're smart. How about that? Well, thank you, Lex. I think you're smart, too. Uh, catch me outside, six <laughs> feet away. <laughs> All right. This has been really cool. Can I ask you one more question yes. that's on not such a serious note? Yeah. If they make a Tiger King movie, would you play Josh Dial? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I absolutely would. Josh Dial... Uh, uh, I would be honored to play him, and uh, some say I play him in real life already. The second that that dude was like, fuck the feds, I was like, he's Spangled! <laughs> Even like a hundred other people. My inbox had blew up that weekend. All libertarians look the same! <laughs> <laughs> we do not, how dare you? I just wanted to cheer you up a little. Oh, hey, and I think it's really cool that your mom's putting herself on the front line. I think it sucks that you, you know, with all the bad things, but I mean, that, that's really cool that she's putting herself out there and doing what she can to help people. So, I mean, you know, the next time you do see her, you just give her a big hug for me and tell her thanks. I will. And I will, I will pass that along from you and everybody else. I, I would not be where I'm at and doing what I'm doing and able to do what I'm doing if my mom had not, you know, A, given birth to me. Uh, shout out to my dad, too. But also, you know, my mom and my Shout out to your dad dropping that seed. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, when I was a loser, I was a really big loser like 15 years ago and living in my mom's basement till I was like 26. And like, and it was all because I was chasing the dream of what I'm getting to do now. And it wouldn't have been able, I wouldn't have been able to do it without my mom. Like, there's no doubt about it. So uh, I don't give her enough credit as she always tells me, but uh yeah, it's it's I'm proud of her and it's uh it's I think you do. It's, Without making you sound like a total weirdo. I think you I mean when you and I talk you bring your mom up quite a bit. I think you're proud of her and that's not a bad thing. Yeah, but I'm cursing a lot when I do it, right? No, I'm just yeah, kidding. Fuck it. Fuck it. No, no. So yeah, I mean it's it it is to have someone in your family that is like a nine eleven responder running into the tower or I mean it's every bit as scary, but it's a it's a it's a constant fear. It's very difficult for her. Uh, you know, her being a person with those pre-existing conditions that makes it difficult. It, it's, you know, the daily viral load that she takes when she's working is just not great. And, you know, it, it's, it's a scary thing. And I, I think every person who has a loved one who is working in the medical field right now feels that same way. And they're terrified. They're their healthcare workers ter terrified EMTs are terrified. Like it's a scary thing because what they see versus what we see is different. We're terrified because we're going to lose liberties or we're terrified because the economy, my mom is terrified because she sees what the disease is and she sees what people go through and she knows she's at risk and her mortality is in play for the first time in her life. Like, you know, this is my mom in the in the early days of the ep AIDS epidemic in the I think it was the early 90s worked in the ICU and was uh, pricked with an AIDS needle and it was a long two weeks in our family I was old enough to kind of understand that it was a really big deal and you know fortunately she turned out to not be uh, 
uh, positive. But like that was before magic, you know, that was uh, people didn't understand AIDS because Ryan White and Magic Johnson hadn't happened. And so, you know, she made the decision like I've got little kids and I need to go find a cushy job at an outpatient surgery center. And she's been there ever since. And, you know, and, and then you're ready to retire and then all of a sudden this thing pops up and you're in the ICU and you're, you're dealing with, uh, with COVID patients. It's, it's, uh, the reason I get tired of it. I, I see like the preachy, like, you know, the nurses and the doctors on CNN crying because they don't have enough PPE as if every governor, and medical supply person, like every person in the world is trying to get them PPE. It's just everybody in the world needs PPE and supply and demand. You personally are afraid. And so you're blaming Trump because he doesn't get you PPE. And it's like, and then the media participates in it because that's an emotional appeal that hurts Trump. But, you know, she doesn't have the proper PPE, right? Like, and so it just compounds that 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 terror. I mean, it's literally terror for her. You know, it, it's scary for me because it's not my health isn't affected, but it's terror for her. And uh, and it's partially because she walks into work every day and sees what's going on. Now, for HIPAA reasons, she doesn't tell me, but I know why she's scared because I've seen enough you know footage from America and Italy to know what's going on, and and it's. It, yeah, hard. and you see the footage of that big ditch in New York where they're putting bodies now, and you're yeah. just like, you know, shit got real. You know, for a lot of people, you is, know, a lot of people, like you said, they're not, they don't know, they they're afraid, they don't know why, and then they see stuff, and then it's, you're just like, okay, you yeah, know, who's it, next? It's kind of like you want to confront you, you want to, you want it to be a hoax, or you want it to be not as serious, because then if you get it or your loved ones get it it's not as serious, right? It's as serious as everybody said, like the media loves to cry wolf, but sometimes there's a wolf that comes knocking at the door and this is a wolf and how people react to it tells you a lot about them. And this is not a time that we need to react with. It's okay to be afraid and it's okay to be fearful because that's natural. It's okay to grieve. It's it's this is a, a hard thing for everybody to to die alone in you know um you know my Miss Pat from the Pat Down. Her son Nikea has it. He's in the ICU right now. And there's oh my. A, there's a pretty good chance that Nikea is being taken care of by my mom. Um ironically, but you know, she's a mom who can't go and stand by her son who's sick. If my mom gets it, I can't go see her. I can't go see her now. Like I had to say goodbye. My, my grandpa can't go see my grandma. Those people being buried in a potter's field, which is literally a grave with no name is what a potter's field is. It's, there's nothing crueler than dying alone or dying a stranger or it it just, and so what this has done, I think has just shown like the first COVID death um, here in Indianapolis I have a friend that cared for that person and she told me and the story kind of became public like that person's family couldn't see them and so a nurse put on the gear and went and sat and held that person's hand while they died and you know 
what I think this has done for people is it's we've had such a feeling of isolation and loneliness for so long. It's making us confront that and saying, what do I value? What do I, what is important to me? What do I care about? And what are the, what are the weak spots in my life in the chain of what is truly important? And I think that it has made us reevaluate things in a good way. And, you know, what I've learned from Miss Pat is that that fear, that economic insecurity, that fear of not having your liberties, that's what a lot of people in this country live with every single day. And I'm very privileged to not have to worry about my job, to not have to worry about economic insecurity, to not have to worry about food. Uh, and I'm very blessed in that way. And it makes me very grateful that I'm not going through what uh, – you know, one of the interviews that I did for the Public Affairs Show with Children's Bureau, they've got a they've got a th- three shelters with sixty kids here in Indianapolis, and the shelter is taking care of kids whose guardian or parents have died or are incapacitated from COVID. There's enough that there's sixty children whose grandparents may have been raising them. One grandparent is dead, and another parent grandparents in hospice. We're on a ventilator, uh, and those kids have COVID. They've tested positive, and so that little eight-year-old has to stay isolated by himself for two weeks with the grief. I mean, that's, that's, a, hor- <sighs> that's a horrifying reality that we don't want to look at, but those of us who are tantruming on Facebook every day need to remember that there's a reality taking place around us that yep. we're not having to live, and we can alleviate that suffering by calling our favorite nonprofit and getting involved. And by us reaching out our hand and saying, I'm here to help you, you can make people feel less alone. And uh, that is a much better way to spread liberty, to spread, um, to deal with your grief. It's to stretch out your hand and just say to the person that uh, doesn't have the the blessings that you have in your life. I'm here to help you. You're less alone. And just like my mom is doing with, um, with people who can't see their family, take care of their family. And I think that's the only thing Lex that we can do. Are you with me? uh, Yeah. Oh, you disappeared for a second. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the only thing that we can do is, is just try to try to drive through by alleviating some of that suffering and trying to be good neighbors more now than ever before, because if we don't do it now, we're never going to do it. This is literally the worst thing we're ever going to go through as a society. I I pray. And uh, if we're not going to step up right now, we're never going to. Yeah. Agreed. All right, Lex. Well, thank you so much for being a friend and thank you so much for coming on. You know, if you ever need anything, you can always call me. I'm good. I don't want anybody to worry about me. I'm having a great life. I've got a great family. I've got great friends. I've I've got uh, I love this audience. I love the the various podcasts I'm he on. Disappeared again. Yeah. Still- I'm here. So I'm doing I'm doing fine. Like I'm having fun working through the mental exercise and keeping myself busy with this stuff. So, uh, so no, don't worry about me, Alex. I'm okay. Are you there? Well, we've lost we've lost her. I'll just, uh, I don't know if I can mute her. There we go. I'll just mute her, and so that way she pops up. I want to say thank you to our...
patrons or $100 a month patrons. You guys are very special to me. Thank you to Reinhold, Anthony Meyer, Craig DaCosta, Ed Brehob, Jason Doolittle, Jeff Bennett, Christy Avery, and Matthew Durbin. Thank you so much for being patrons. And Lex, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. I love you so much. Love you too, and we'll we'll talk soon. Thanks everybody for right. listening, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you next week.